Hail, gladdening light of His pure glory, Lord. The immortal Father, heavenly blessed. Holiest of holy. to Advent on Table Radio. This sermon is from Sunday, December 11th and was preached by Bishop Dan Gifford. The lights of evening round us shine. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Um, let's just begin with a prayer. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you and praise thee that as we've been singing, you bring us from darkness into your glorious light through the power of the gospel of Jesus, the good news of him transferring us from the kingdom of darkness into his glorious kingdom, his kingdom of light through the forgiveness of our sins. And as we meet today, we pray that you will strengthen us, that you will warm our hearts to you, and that you will give us grace to live for you as lights in this world. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, it would be great, or a phone, uh, it would be great for you to turn to John chapter 1. And um, we are, we are going to just go over some, a few verses from John 14 through 18, but I want to talk about John 1, 1 through 18, because that's the context. And in it, we see incredible things that it would take about a sermon series of 18 parts for the 18 verses to do. And I'm going to do it in about five minutes, that sort of overview. But um, the reason I want to do that is because In 1 through 18, we see the glory and the majesty of Jesus Christ. And that in his glorious majesty, he comes and touches every part of our lives. These 18 verses at the beginning are like, they're called the prologue, and they're like an overture to a musical, where you hear the themes of the music of that play, Uh, all in the beginning, and you're going to hear those themes uh, sort of spelled out and developed uh, throughout the play. Uh, So you get a foretaste of the whole Gospel of John here. 
But I want to take you to the very end of the Gospel of John so you know what it's about. And that is this. He says, here's the purpose for writing John. John says, I write so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So by describing who Jesus is, because Jesus revealed that to John, he is writing words that actually transform people's lives forever by giving them life. When you trust Jesus, he gives you life, it's saying. In the reading today, we hear that the God of all power comes close to us in every aspect of your life because he was born as a child in Bethlehem, looking ahead to Christmas in a couple of weeks. Is your shopping done? Are you not supposed to be distracted by this when we talk about this? Because what is going on here is that um, the purpose of God that we're seeing throughout John and in this prologue is to touch your life and to um, save it, save us completely. So, uh, you know what? I invite you to read the Gospel of John this week and next. One of the things we do in Advent is to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest God's Word so you can grab hold of the promises of God and be changed. This would be good. It takes two hours to read for an average reader, so it takes me four hours. But one of the reasons is because when you're reading, you get kind of distracted in a good way. What does this mean for me? You, you, uh, you see the immense, the extraordinary things that are being taught and revealed to us. In fact, John's writing is so simple and clear that a preschool child can understand and respond in faith. Uh, and that's certainly my experience in my life. But it's also so deeply profound that people of great influence or intelligence, great learning, can't fathom it. And therefore, they reject the idea of a living God who touches our lives. Throughout the Gospel of John, that's what you hear. You hear people who reject and people who accept. And wonderfully, the people who accept Jesus, who he is, their lives are utterly transformed. And it's a massive range of people. People from Nicodemus, who was a ruler of that time, a great and learned person, an influencer, Nicodemus, Jesus said, you got to be born again. And he was. He was changed. And then right in that same part of John, you see the woman at the well, John 4, the Samaritan woman, who is in the uh, marginalized of society, outcast, rejected. She believes and receives the Lord Jesus, and she's utterly transformed. She becomes the first evangelist, shares with the whole city, and God does a mighty work through her. So this is what John is about, receiving or um, rejecting the Lord Jesus. Now, John, in this prologue, he doesn't talk about the name of Jesus until verse 17. He said he uses the word, word. <laughs> That's hard to say. He says word for Jesus. And the reason we do, he does that is so that we understand something of his majesty and his goodness. So important for us. Because that word, logos, word, is simply God expressing himself perfectly. 
God expressing himself in creating the world, in revealing himself to that world, and in saving that world. So the world, the word is God's ultimate self-disclosure. And that's why John, this gospel, as one commentator said, um, he says the whole gospel of John says that the deeds and words of Jesus are the deeds and words of the living God himself. And we see this right away in verse 1. Look at that. John says three things about the word. First, he was in the beginning. And beginning means not only that there's nothing before him, it also means that he is the source of everything in this massive universe. And then secondly, the word was with God. Literally, that word means with means towards God. It's saying that that the word was in the closest possible relationship with God the Father, completely oriented towards the Father. And that is because of the third thing about the word, and that's that the word was God. That is a shocking thing to say for a Jewish writer. The word order is emphatic here, that that the word is God. He's not saying there's something divine about, about Jesus. He is saying he is God, without without any kind of uh, vagueness here. So if a person says Jesus is a mere prophet or a teacher or a holy one or a rabbi, they have to ignore John. They have to ignore this gospel. So having proclaimed those three truths, that he was in the beginning, that the word was with God, that the word is God, verses 3 and 4 says that all things were made through him. And not only that, but in him was life, and the life was the light of people. So you see, he's saying that all creation was made through the word, and the word sustains all life. And life is spiritual life, physical life, and moral life. He's the one who gives all of it. Here is the majesty of Jesus. He is called the word that always existed with God and is God himself and brings every aspect of the universe into being and holds it in his hands. Now, this truth is beyond our ability to fully comprehend with our minds. Science is beginning to describe the work of the word in creation. After all of these years in learning, it recognizes that there was a definite beginning to the universe, and that somehow everything's being held together. together. And a true scientist understands there is a massive amount of knowledge that they do not know, that we need to learn about the universe. And uh, if you ask a scientist what happened before the Big Bang, there's a lot of crickets, a lot of silence, because that's where you get into the realm of there, here, was, here was the word. Before creation, there was the word. Now, in verse 5, there is the first hint that there's something wrong with that world. It says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's a weird thing to say. It hasn't overcome it. But that's saying that there is a hostility in the world against the word. And um, the darkness that John talks about are systems of thought, human actions that rebel against God's coming, 
so that humanity wants to overcome and silence God, cancel God, who speaks to us so clearly in Jesus. The darkness of the world wants to separate us itself from God. And so the only hope for the world is for God to recreate, to save, to rescue. And so if you look at verses 6 through 9, look down at 6 through 9. You hear about John the Baptist, not the one who wrote this John gospel, but the Baptist, who was a witness that the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming, Advent, into the world. You see, God's grace is that he comes to us. Creation is groaning. God comes to us. He is the, uh, he comes with his living power to, to, to initiate his goodness in us, in the world. And that brings us to John uh, 1.14. And this is the climax of all of this. This is what I want to focus on. John 14, we see the nature of God's coming to us. How does he do this? The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the grand miracle. This is what happens in Bethlehem, the miracle of Jesus born. It is the glorious act of God coming impossibly close to humanity. It's a miracle. Um, Literally, that word dwelt among us means that he tabernacled with us. And that word meant a lot when it was first written. The tabernacle, as you know, and I know you were doing a series on the Ten Commandments, but the tabernacle was the place in the wilderness in Moses' time where God, the holy God, would meet sinful humanity. And I love the pictures, if you look at Exodus, of what the tabernacle looked like. It is beautiful. The directions for how to build this. Beautiful colors. A a, a beautiful setting as well. And the idea was that people would know that in that tabernacle, heaven has come to earth. That humanity, with all of our brokenness, meets with a holy God. So do you see the movement of what's happening The word is highly exalted. And he who is God, who holds the the universe in his hand, who is in heaven, comes down to be one of us, to meet with sinful humanity. The word flesh means vulnerable humanity. With all of our exhaustion, grief, thirst, hunger, suffering, that word becomes that flesh. It's an extraordinary thing. And it is for our rescue. Um, C.S. Lewis explores this really helpfully. And he wrote a little essay called The Grand Miracle. And that's what verse 14 is. It's the grand miracle. Here's what he says. He, he says, think about what that descent is, the descent of the word into the world. It's the coming down not only into humanity, but into those nine months with, which precede human birth. 
One has the picture of a diver stripping off garment after garment, making himself naked, then flashing for a moment in the air, and then down, down through the green and warm and sunlit water into the pitch black, cold, freezing water, down into the mud and slime, and then up again, his lungs almost bursting back up into the green and warm sunlit water, and then at last out into the sunshine, holding in his hand the dripping thing that he went to get. That thing is human nature. But associated with it, all of nature, the new universe. That's the big story. That's what God's doing. And so C.S. Lewis goes on to say, God really has dived down into the bottom of creation. And he has come up bringing the whole redeemed nature on his shoulders. And this is what it means that the word has come infinitely close to us. He has come into all of who we are. He identifies with us in our emotions and physical pain, uh, yet he is without sin. And we see this most powerfully on the cross, where he takes the worst sin and pain that we have experienced and that we have committed all the hurts, every kind of abuse, of violence, every loss, all of it is brought into Jesus when he dies on the cross. He grabs hold of sinful human nature. And he brings us up into a healed relationship with God. That is glory. You know, when we think of God's glory, which we've seen in these verses here, we often think of something massive, light, beautiful, powerful, overawing. But John says, and Jesus says in John, that his glory is to go to the cross and to do this, this thing that is so central for all of us, grabbing our sinful nature and healing us by the forgiveness of our sins. It can only happen because the word became flesh And that's why when he rises again on the third day, he brings humanity with him. And he gives them and us new life, spiritual life, that never ends. That's why Jesus will say a couple of um, chapters later, you must be born again. You've got to be born of the Spirit. And he says, receive that gift that only Jesus can give. So um, there's a great give and take that Jesus, the Word, does for us. The joy of this season that we have right now is that Jesus um, takes away all of our sins and our pain. He takes it onto himself, I should say. And then he gives to us a new life through the forgiveness of sins, this open, healed relationship with Jesus, who is God with us, who is God infinitely close to us. That's how he rescues us. That's why he became a man. And that is grace upon grace. Uh, now, I know that you, uh, you had a, a sermon series on the Ten Commandments, one commandment each week, which is fantastic. And did you notice in this little reading that um, in verse 16, it says that from Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace upon grace, and literally it means grace in place of grace. And you think, well, what is that? 
Well, it is what I've just been describing here, but he, he defines it further. He says, verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see what it's saying here? It's saying what you heard, that the law of God is a gift to you. Because in that law, you hear about who God is. You see something about his heart. You see a bit, you see a glimpse of his holiness, and you hear what he wants for you. And what is best for you as you keep that law? How to live a blessed life in that sense? But if you were listening attentively to the sermons, you would have said in your heart, I don't keep that law very well. That there would have been a sense of, I need something here. I fall short. There is something much more that I need to be doing. And it leads us to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life in our place. Jesus Christ brings us and reconciles us to God, gives us the forgiveness of sins that all those sacrifices were pointing to so that we live a life as one who is at peace with God. And we, 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 our hearts are changed. There is a new life inside of us in which we are doing his commandments because it is the way to thank God for this rescue, for this work of the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. So I want to close this sermon by asking this question, and that is, how do I receive this gift? How do I receive that gift of the word become flesh, his grace upon grace, which is grace that replaces the grace that came to us through Moses? Very simply, it's in verse 12. Jesus says there, if you look at it closely, he says, uh, you have to go up a little bit, uh, that for all those who received Jesus and believed in his name, literally it means welcome him, give your complete allegiance to it. It's the very opposite, if you go one more verse up, verse 11, where even though John the Baptist announced who Jesus was, he came to his own home, Jesus did, and his own people did not receive him. And all of John, as I said, are these two different reactions to Jesus, rejection or welcome. John tells each of us this evening, welcome him. Believe in his name because of the wonderful gift of rescue through which you are changed, where God gives you a new heart, a new life. And wonderfully, look at verse 12 at the end, that he gives you the right to become children of God who are born of God. So what this means is that God does not just rescue us from darkness, but he rescues you into the family of God. I think it's one of the most important things about you gathering as the table is you're getting a glimpse of what God has done for you spiritually so powerfully, he has brought you into a new family. Just as he brings you into a new family in the church, he brings you into the life of the family of God, the life of the Trinity forever, eternal life, so that no matter what pains and sins we experience in the darkness of this world, we belong to God. And there's this joy that we live out of actively growing into that new role of being adopted by God. It means you enjoy him and you obey him with these 10 commandments. You love what he loves. You reject what he rejects. And that's why a child of God wants to hear God's word. 
So God speaks to us this evening. He gives us grace to welcome Jesus by giving him our lives with thanksgiving. For he has descended from his exalted place for our sake to utterly change our lives by touching every part of your life with his life. Take joy this evening in welcoming that rescue. We welcome the forgiveness of sins as we do it. We welcome that great and most wonderful of rights, the right to become God's daughter, God's son. So may you give away that joy and peace that is yours in Christ as you live out that new birthright and speak about the hope that is within you. Amen. Let us pray together as we close this word. Father, I thank you and praise you that you touch the lives of every person in this room. In our very different stories, you are the living God. Jesus, the word has come into the depths of our humanity and lifts us into a new life with you. I pray that you will heal those who are brokenhearted, that you will assure us of our adoption by the love of God the Father for us, and that you will strengthen us as we have heard this word to be those who point to Jesus the word, who show Jesus the word in our lives, who serve Jesus the word and rejoice in living for him. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Round us shine. We hear the Father. For listening to Table Radio, an extension of the life of the Table Church, a community in Victoria, BC. Our mission together is to love God, love each other, and to love and bless our neighbors so that we may see Christ revealed in common life. Music for this episode provided by the Table Community. To learn more, please go to tablechurch.ca. Giver of life alone.